We turn this morning in God's Word to the book of Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. We continue our series of messages this morning on the book of Leviticus. Tonight, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back in our series on 1 Timothy. Leviticus chapter 18, let us hear the breathed out word of the God that we have just said, How great thou art! And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister. Your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of the Lord God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. You shall not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean. So I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations. 
either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became clean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. As far as the reading of God's word, let's bow in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to once again read a portion of your scriptures, dear Lord. It seems only fitting that since this is your house, this is your word, and we are your people, that we should never be able to, we should always be able to come here, worship together, open the scriptures up, and read. Dear Lord, we ask for that blessing now on, on uh, Pastor Bob's message on Leviticus 18. We pray that we will be blessed by it, and that he will be blessed by it, his uh, rendition of it. Thank you so much, dear Lord. Amen. As we consider this 18th chapter of the book of Leviticus, obviously it is not a, an easy chapter. It's not an easy chapter to, to hear. It's not an easy chapter to read. It's not an easy chapter to reflect upon. It's full of abomination and it's full of uncleanness. It's full of perversion. And yet this is to the word of the Lord. It was the word of the Lord to those people because it was needed. It was needed because where they had been for 400 years as a nation. It's needed because of where they're going into and what they're going to encounter. And certainly it is needed by us today in that we dwell in a land that is full of this sort of abomination and perversion. What then does God have to say to his people of old and to you and I today? And I would place before you the fact that it is interesting that this passage is bracketed by the saying of God repeated over throughout this chapter. I am the Lord your God. As God is about to deal with this, as God is about to speak these words to his people, he comes to them and he says, listen, listen, I am the Lord your God. And at the conclusion of the chapter, after all of this abominable, detestable, perverted things have been laid out before the people of Israel, he comes again and he closes the chapter, he closes the section with the words, I am the Lord your God. And I think there's a reason and a purpose God did that here. And it's because he knew that the content of this chapter would be unsettling. And he wants them to know, I am the Lord your God. And so let's look at that first bracket, the first time that this comes out as it does in verses 1 through 5. It reveals to us the Lord's identity. I am 
the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Those words were spoken way back to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. As Moses approaches the burning bush, the voice speaks, the Lord speaks out of that burning bush. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am. When Moses further asks who it is that has sent me when I go to the people of Israel, the Lord responds, tell them the I am has sent you. I am. The one who is self-existent. The one who rules and reigns. The one who is the Lord, their covenant God. The one who has brought them out of Egypt. The one who has redeemed them. The one who has purchased them. The one who has bought them with a price. The one who has entered into a relationship and has said, I am the Lord your God and you are my people. It wasn't by vote of the people. It wasn't by decision of the people. It wasn't by the will of the people. It was by the word of the Lord. It was by the will of God. It was by his sovereign purposes. I am the Lord. Your God. And that's the second part of that bracket, right? Not only the identity of who it is that is speaking to them, even as he comes in this chapter. But it's his claim. I am the Lord, your God. Not because you have claimed me, but because I have claimed you. I claim you. I own you. You are mine. You belong to me. You do not belong to the gods of Egypt. You do not belong to the gods of the Canaanites. You are my people. You're mine. And how much more so when we consider that the Passover lamb was but a shadow Of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more so even as we come to that table this evening as the reminder. That he purchased us. With his own blood. He owns us. He has his claim upon us. We are his property. Bought, purchased, paid for, full, fully. Not partially, not half and half. But we belong to him. You you think about these people of Israel hearing these words as they're camped there at Mount Sinai. Thinking about God's hand that has moved. Those plagues. God's mighty hand. You, you, You think about these people who have seen the Red Sea part. You think about these people who have seen that Red Sea come back over 
Pharaoh and all of his hosts. You, you think about these people who have seen them win a war when Moses' hands were up. You think about these people who have seen water come from a rock, who have seen quail come in with an east wind, who have seen manna fall from heaven, who have seen the mountain of fire and of smoke. This great and glorious God, this awesome God, this one who is how great thou art, owns them, and he calls them his people. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord who is your sovereign. I am the Lord who is your king. I am the Lord who rules. And then thirdly, as we consider that bracket in those first five verses, and I have authority. Verse 4, you shall follow my statutes. You shall follow my rules. Yeah, this sort of sounds like dad saying, if you're going to live in my house, then you're going to follow my rules. If you're going to be my people, if you're going to share in the blessings that I give you, then it is my right to make the rules. Now, perhaps our human and earthly fathers did so in a, in a, dictatorial way, perhaps they did so in a stubborn way, perhaps they did so in, a, in not the best of ways, but the Lord our God does so in perfection, full of loving kindness, full of mercy, full of compassion, comes the Lord with his authority saying, you're my people and you're going to live by my rules. I don't care what the Egyptians did. I don't care the lifestyle. I don't care the practices that were associated with the gods of Egypt. You're now going to live by my rules. And I don't care about those gods of Canaan and the way in which they desired to be worshipped. I don't care about those practices. Well, he does care, but not in this sense. I don't care what they do. That's not to be the way you worship me. How would you like to be worshipped, Lord? Well, here are the sacrifices. Here are the rules. Here are the rules when you come to the tent of meeting. Here are the rules for keeping yourself clean. And here are the sexual rules you need to follow if you are to be my people. So yeah, this isn't the rules of the culture. This isn't the rules of the land. Who cares? It's the rule of the Lord our God. So now what comes between the bracket? There's the first bracket. God's setting it up. Now God says, okay, here are my rules. Here are my statutes. Here are the laws that you are to follow. In verses, and this takes up verses 6 through 29 of the chapter. First of all, we can summarize the vast majority of this chapter by simply these words. No incest. No incest. You mean they, they, they did that? Well, God's not given a rule and a law because nobody's committing it. 
They learned it in Egypt. They're going to see it in Canaan. No, you don't do that. This is wrong. This is forbidden. This is an abomination. And if you practice it, you ought to be cut off from amongst the people. We might say, well, yeah, but we don't have to talk to West Michigan about that, do we? Oh, no, we need to talk to West Michigan about it. Well, we don't need to talk to Reformed churches about it, do we? Oh, yes, we need to talk to Reformed churches, even conservative Reformed churches. Listen, folks, get it clear. No incest. And how does he define that? No immediate family. Nobody in your immediate family are you to have a sexual relationship with. You're not to have it be involved in sexual action, sexual talk, sexual play, and certainly not sexual intercourse with anyone who is your close relative. Outside of husbands, your wife and wife, outside of your husband, nobody. Nobody. That's it. Do I need to make it clearer? Do you get it? No one. Not your daughter, not your granddaughter. Not your son, not your grandson. No one. Not your niece, not your nephew. No one. And not just no to immediate family, not even close family. So even if they're an in-law, no. It's not allowed. Well, yeah, but in Egypt, I don't care. No. But the state says, I don't care. No. This is the law of the Lord your God. Not even steps. Did you get that? I mean, you talk about God covering all the bases. Well, what about if they're just brought into the family and they're actually the daughter of the second wife of my mother? Technically, they're not my sister. Certainly, that's okay. God says, no. They're in the family. They're considered family. No, no, no. But the Canaanites, no. Said as strong as I can possibly say it. No. If, if, and if you're the adult who is, confess, acknowledge, pay the price. But stop it now. But the cost is too much. It's not as much of the cost of being cut off from the people of God forever and in eternity. That is the greater price than the stigma you might be, have to pay. 
no. And if you are or have been a victim, it should not have been. The Lord has been clear. The Lord said no. Moms and dads, I'm going to leave it to you to go home and to make this clear to your children. God says no. Don't blame them. Don't worry about the shame that you think is going to come on your family as a result. God says no. It's a tough chapter. But God's not done. (laughs) There's more. Because God also goes into not just these incestuous relationships in all sorts of various scenarios that that basically you have to walk away and say, God's just making a blanket statement. No. No. It's not the place for it. Not for my people. Pick it up with me at verse 19. No. Not during that time. Not during that time of month. Why? There's a blood issue involved. Remember how important blood is to the Lord? Remember how symbolic it is to the Lord? Plus, why would you as a husband take advantage of a wife during that time? Makes it somewhat of a demand rather than a joy. No. He goes on, doesn't he? Oh, just in case you thought I forgot about adultery, verse 20. No. No. Somebody outside of that marriage relationship. No. What about if we have children who are the products of these relationships? Certainly it'd be okay to throw them away, right? Offer them to Moloch? No! Don't complicate things. Don't make it worse. Don't bring even more judgment upon yourself. I'm proud we can be of those who ran and said, this past election, and said, no. We're not just going to dispose of children. No. Not at all. Well, what about if we're not dealing with men and women, but we're dealing with men and men and women and women? No! How many times has God got to say it? No! He even heightens it here by by now coming in with these are abominations. What about animals? No! 
Then why did God have to mention those? Because it never occurred to them? The Israelites are going, oh man, God just gave me an idea. No, it's because they've seen it. And they know of it from Egypt. And they're going to encounter it in Canaan. And my friends, it's already starting here. No. I am the Lord, your God. You are to follow my statutes. You are to follow my rules. I have a claim upon you. But that's not the way I don't hear God is saying how the rest of the world lives. You bear my name. Perversions, God calls these things. And then he speaks of the punishments. The punishments which, which go on to talk about the land becomes unclean. The land vomits. Think of that picture. You are to be cut off from the people. No claim as covenant people. As I said last week, killing is far too good. God is speaking of hell. He's speaking of damnation. He's speaking of an eternity of being without grace. Cut off from my people. And that's all I have as my people. But then, beautifully, we come to verse 30. And the last words, the last words after all of this is, I am the Lord your God. Oh, what a beautiful bracket this is, isn't it? What a beautiful parentheses this forms. I am the Lord your God. Here are my rules. Here are my statutes. Here is the way you're to live a holy life before me in regards to your sexuality. And here's the other bracket. I am the Lord your God. And I was thinking about this and thinking, it's, it's interesting that it ends with that as well. Because God is pointing us forward to another I am, isn't he? I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning. I'm the firstborn of the dead. For you see, we have not only the Lord speaking these words, we have it bracketed by Christ. The one who is going to say, Over and over again. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. He brackets it. And that which is enclosed 
is within the brackets. It's within the bracket of the Lord as their covenant God. And as the ones who fulfilled that covenant, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And within those brackets are to be God's people. What are you saying, Bob? I'm saying what we just read in Leviticus 18 didn't end at the cross. This is God's will for his bracketed people. Those who fall within his covenant blessings. Those who fall within the covenant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because you see, that's the way our world thinks. And sadly, that's the way even the church thinks. Well, we don't have to have the Ten Commandments because they're not anything we need to follow anymore. And if we don't follow the Ten Commandments, then certainly all of these little nuances about who we can have sexual relationships with are certainly gone. Oh, people don't think that way. This is in a book. This is in a published book by somebody who graduated from a reform seminary. This isn't some off the wall. The question is raised. Suppose it were legal in our country for a man to marry his sister. Let's suppose state of Michigan, United States government, Congress passes a law. It's okay to marry your sister now. Your full-fledged sister. If this were the case and a man who attended your church wanted to marry his sister, would the church perform the wedding? Oh, you can see where this comes from, right? You can see this out of the homosexual situation, out of the lesbian situation, right? Well, God said it was wrong at one time, but the state says it's okay now. So would you, would you do anything about it? Here's the answer. Listen to this. Listen to this way of thinking. If God's law against marrying your sister in the Old Covenant was one that was always in force and should always stand? Question mark. In the New Covenant Scriptures, no mention is made of the impropriety of marrying one sister. Although the practice is illegal in many countries, which makes it sinful for Christians living in those countries to do. It seems that if you and your sister are both believers and you live in a country that deems marriage between siblings to be a lawful practice, then your marriage, listen to this, the marriage between a brother and a sister, it would seem to me would be holy in the sight of the Lord. God forbid that that which God has called an abomination, that that which God has called detestable, that that which God has called a perversion, should now be thought of as something holy in the sight of the Lord. What if he wants to marry his horse?
What if your father wants to marry your daughter? Oh, the state says it's okay, it's all right. I don't care what the state says, nor does the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Do you see my hands? Do you see the nail prints? I bought you. You're mine. Live as my people. Because that's who you are. You're my people. You're not the people of Canaan. You're not the people of Egypt. I died for you because I love you. And I gave myself for you. The brackets. The one who is the great I am. Oh, my friends. What a blessing it is to be the people of God. What a responsibility is before us in the day and age in which we live. And as we see things progressing further and further and further away, not just in the world, but in the church, in our own confessional churches, as we see things drifting further and further away, What do we say? Do we look over there and say, well, they're doing it? Or do we say, I will listen to the voice of the Lord my God? Because he has spoken. And he has said, I am holy. Therefore, you be holy. And through the wonder and the amazement of his grace, even if we have committed one of these horrific sins. If we confess our sin, he forgives us our sins. And we're washed, it's clean, that snow amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see this evening we come across this passage of Paul This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full assurance. Jesus Christ came into this world to die to save sinners of whom I am the chief. My friends, we can look down our noses all we want at those who might commit the sins of Leviticus chapter 18. But what we really need to do is to look in the mirror to say with Paul, I am the chief of sinners. 
Christ came to claim as his own. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. A difficult word and yet a much needed word in the day and age in which we live. May we, as the body of Christ, may we, as the people of God, may we, as the church, arise in this day, in this age, and live as you've called us to live. Thank you for the redeeming love and grace that washes and cleanses us from all our sin. In Christ's glorious name, God's people again say, Amen.